It's so interesting. There's this paradox in our universe that the same materials, the same basic ingredients are making everything that exists. And every single thing in the universe is unique. Every grain of sand is unique. Every leaf on every tree is unique. Every ant is unique. Every human being is unique. And, and how can that be if everything's sort of the same, but everything is different at the same time? And I feel like when you create a piece of art where every single piece is related, but they're all different, you know, you kind of express the paradox in a visual way and it's so beautiful and and you feel like there are so many connections you can make to nature to human relationships you know I just think that there is some kind of a profound truth in that unity and variety relationship Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 270th episode, I'm really excited to be joined by Leah Anderson, who is a multimedia artist and has a studio practice out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, where she also teaches. We talk all about her studio practice, which incorporates a wide range of traditional and non-traditional materials to create a variety of 2D works, 3D works, and especially installations that sometimes require up to a thousand different components that slowly, slowly come together to form this larger whole. We especially talk about that in some specific installations in the podcast. Her work is really formal and beautiful and process-driven, and it's a super exciting interview, so stay tuned for that. And of course, check out her work at LeahAndersonArt.com, and be sure to follow her on Instagram and Facebook at LeahAndersonArt. Before we dive in, I just want to remind any artists out there looking to share their work to apply for the 2021 Studio Break Pro Competition jury this year by Erica B. Hess. Erica will be selecting 10 artists to appear on an upcoming episode of Studio Break, as well as two artists for solo exhibitions for some new spaces opening up in West Chicago. Again, if you want to apply, it's really easy. You submit a small fee, you send an email with your information, and that's it. You can find out more information by visiting studiobreak.com. Just look under the competition page. And of course, if you know any that should apply, please share this opportunity. If you're listening to the podcast for the first time, head on over to studiobreak.com and check out some of the other great artists that have been featured there. Each of our posts have images of their work as well as links to their websites. You can listen there on the default player or just subscribe to the podcast. And then that way, you've always got something to listen to while you're working away in the studio. You can find us on Facebook, so please be sure to like our page there. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break. And of course, be sure to say hello on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. With those brief announcements, let's dive right into this interview with Leah Anderson. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Leah Anderson. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Yeah, we've been, you know, going back and forth and I'm so excited to talk to you all about your work. Obviously, you know, you make a ton of uh, installation work, 2D work, 3D work, so it's going to be great kind of breaking that down. Where where are you joining me from today? You're in uh, the, the Southwest, is that correct? Yes, I live right outside Albuquerque, New Mexico in mm-hmm. a city called Rio Rancho. But my studio is in Albuquerque. Okay. And if I'm not mistaken, you're from San Diego? Originally? Yes, originally from San Diego, and I moved to New Mexico in 2003 to go to graduate school at the University of New Mexico. Okay, okay. So it's interesting to kind of have that, you know, place that you're from and then the place that you are, you know, and I guess I, as adults, I guess that's all we ever do, right? <laughs> we kind of transport ourselves to these different places that don't feel like home, but maybe I'm getting in the weeds there for a second. But maybe talk to us a little bit about that, you know, experience kind of growing up in, in, uh, San Diego, what was that like kind of growing up? Well, I didn't live near the beach, which, you know, sort of everybody thinks if you're from San Diego, you're a beach person and a surfer. Mm-hmm. But I lived inland, you know, maybe about a half an hour, 40 minutes inland. And so it was very hot and dry. It's actually very similar to the climate in Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like California itself was a huge influence on my art. But now that I live in the desert, I do kind of see a really interesting relationship between sort of ocean life and desert life. And Mm -hmm. because I'm so 
inspired by those things. I I just I almost feel like the ocean has more meaning to me now than it did when I lived in California. And if I'm not mistaken too, you also had like a lot of art experiences kind of growing up in terms of being around like your your father's workshop, if I'm not mistaken too, and, and things like that. Well, my dad was a welder, but he was also a really intellectual person. You know, he was sort of a self-educated person. He would take calculus at the community college just because he wanted to, you know, and sure. trigonometry. And, you know, he would really kind of mess with my brain sometimes and try to get me into these philosophical conversations. And I, I would really struggle. And, you know, with sometimes it's very frustrating. But I think that my solution to trying to grapple with philosophy ended up coming through my work and exploring ideas visually, exploring ideas through process. So I definitely credit that. You know, he he had a welding shop where he was an excellent welder. Like it was almost like absolutely an art. He was just exceptionally professional and very knowledgeable about all the chemistry and the physics of welding. And he was really an artist, although he didn't really make a lot of art. I have actually a lot of, you know, beautiful pieces. He almost would paint with the welding, mm-hmm. uh, the beads of the welding tool. And, you know, he'd make a little panel with sort of an abstract welding blob on it. And and I have some of those pieces. And so, he, you know, he was an amazing drafter. So somebody would come into the shop and ask him, you know, to make something. And he would draw out this incredible drawing for them. One of my earliest memories is him drawing, I was probably three, and he drew me this huge eyeball with a giant needle stabbing through it and a big drop of blood coming off the end. It was just the coolest thing. So I I do think he really inspired me to be an artist. Was that something then that was always, you were just always around it? I'm imagining just kind of drawing and painting and, you know, making things? Well, yes, I was an only <laughs> child, so I read a lot and had a lot of art supplies. And my mom was really cool about, she'd buy me clay, she'd buy me paint, she'd buy anything. I remember getting my first set of really nice markers with all the colors. And, you know, just, it, I always had ample art supplies. And I think just because I had to entertain myself a lot, I did a lot of art. And so I just feel like it's kind of always been the thing that I do. When I'm by myself, I make art. Was that something then that you were kind of always thinking like, oh, I'm going to somehow do this for the rest of my life? Or I just think there wasn't anything else that was that interesting <laughs> to me. And and my mom gave me an art show for my third birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, she hung up all my drawings around the apartment and had my friends over and said that this is your art, an art show. Mm-hmm. So I almost feel a little bit like I was, I think my mom kind of wanted me to be an artist. And so she was very encouraging. It almost just seems like it happened naturally when I, when I had to decide what I was going to do in college, I was just going to be an art major. I, I just never even thought about any other, any other focus. Well, those would be some great slides for a talk, right? You know, sure. Um, <laughs> um, well, interesting. So did you kind of take a lot of classes then kind of, you know, growing up in terms of like grade school, high school, that kind of thing? Well, I did get some painting lessons from, you know, like a, a woman who taught privately and I would mm-hmm. kind of go to her house and, and take some painting lessons, but I never took art in high school, Interesting. which is very sad now because none of my friends took art. So mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was pretty much caught up in my social circle. Mm-hmm. If all my friends had been taking art, I'm sure I would have taken art, but I really wish I would have been a little more you know, like giving myself that opportunity because I would have loved it, but nobody I knew was doing it. So when I got to college, you know, then it was it was really wonderful to take art. My very first class, my very first day of college was two-dimensional design. And I just remember just like, this is, this is totally awesome. I love it. And I want to take more art. And, you know, because we were talking maybe a little bit before the podcast about, you know, our own teaching practices, you're a teacher as well. I would imagine that kind of that skill set of kind of like learning new techniques and learning new ways of, of thinking about it since you maybe didn't have as many of those experiences kind of growing up, you know, like in a formal setting. I'm sure that must have been really, really exciting then to be in, in 2D and, and learning all about color theory and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I loved it. And I knew I would never be a teacher. And and then when I was in graduate school and I got the opportunity to do graduate teaching, 
I was like, okay, you know, I'll do it because I, you know, I'll get some extra money and get health insurance, things like to get a little break on my tuition. Mm -hmm. But it was really incredibly inspiring. Like I suddenly was like, all I could think about was, Ooh, what kind of project could I come up with next? Mm -hmm. And how can I inspire these students? And Ooh, this one would be really fun. And it was like, it was really just kind of a captivating activity. And I was so surprised that I was actually pretty good at teaching because I was really excited. I couldn't wait to see what the students made. And, you know, it was just really a fun thing, almost like, you know, I can give myself an idea and make something. But if I give 20 people that idea and they make something, I'm going to see so many different variations. So it was almost just like an extension of art making to create projects for students. To kind of pull us into uh, your first year, you know, what kind of things stick out to you that you, you know, started working through or making or maybe any artworks that kind of stuck out to you that you started getting exposed to and, and getting excited about? So I started with being a painting drawing major. And the degree we had also included printmaking. Mm -hmm. So I started in that path and did a lot of figurative painting. I, I had done, you know, when I was young, a young kid, faces were just always what I wanted to draw. Faces, faces, mm -hmm. abstract faces, realistic faces. So when I started undergrad, I, you know, I did a lot of figurative painting and, you know, pretty much representational, but I would collage different symbols or have figures that represented certain ideas in the work. And I got a lot of good response from my professors, you know, because when you're a representational painter, you know, you usually get a lot of positive feedback. But then I did a painting that had these blobs in the background, and I was really thinking about them as the energy around that figure. And I kind of couldn't stop thinking about these shapes and why are they so interesting to me and and I was trying to prepare a portfolio for graduate school with all this figurative work and these this idea of these round shapes or these kind of clusters of information I, I couldn't stop thinking about them and so I finally gave in and I just made a piece that was just with a bunch of different organic shapes, sort of biomorphic shapes carved out of foam, and then I collaged on top of them. I was sort of thinking about them as ideas that were sh being shared or transforming maybe between different people. If you were sharing an idea, it would transform. Or It was a very abstract kind of a piece, you know, philosophically abstract, and then visually abstract, but I didn't really understand anything about it. And I didn't know anything about artists that made work like that. And I ended up making a whole portfolio of work like that and abandoning my figurative portfolio. And that's what I ended up getting into graduate school for. And then I was able to kind of really dig in and learn a lot about different artists that worked in similar styles or, you know, just generally understanding more about working that way. Well, and it sounds like then you've been working with that formal language and exploring that for, you know, quite a long time, or at least, you know, you can think about that even relative to everybody's kind of artistic path. There's always these kind of like cyclical kind of things that go on where you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't think about, you know, how there were inklings of this way back when, you know? Sure. Well, and one of the things I realized recently was, you know, I'm sort of thinking about, oh, I've never made a figurative piece of art since, but I actually think it is related to figurative because I, instead of a human, mm -hmm. it's just a, you know, kind of ambiguous shape that is taking on meaning. So I'm almost using that shape the same way that I would use a figure. So I'm not really sure if it, if it isn't figurative. I mean, it has maybe some kind of organic figuration or something. I, you know, maybe there's a term somewhere, but I, I, I thought that was so interesting to suddenly realize it's still related to a figure or I'm using these forms for the same reason I was using figures or things like that. So mm -hmm. that was an interesting realization. Well, and you know, to think about, you know, timelines and, and point A to point B, you know, how, how did you wind up then, you know, moving out to uh, New Mexico in terms of, you know, eventually pursuing your MFA? Was it like a straight path or? I was kind of tied to, my family situation because I have a daughter mm -hmm. and in San Diego, she went to Waldorf school from the time she was two and until 
you know, when we moved to New Mexico, she was 13. And the Waldorf school in San Diego only went up to eighth grade. And my mom had moved to New Mexico mm-hmm. a few years before. And so my mom was like, maybe you could go to graduate school in New Mexico because they have a Waldorf high school in Santa Fe. And so we ended up moving. So, you know, if my daughter hadn't also been able to have something that was for her, I don't think it could have taken her away from all of her life. Mm -hmm. But because I knew she had something and I had something, you know, we, we both would benefit and we could live with my mom and, you know, kind of have a closer relationship with her. So it was almost like a practical reason that I chose the University of New Mexico. And I didn't apply for any other schools for that reason. And, you know, of course, now I'm like, oh, I don't know what would have been like to go to that school or that school. But I had a really good experience at University of New Mexico. I had wonderful professors. And I was very inspired by the program. I, I feel very lucky that it worked out. Well, and to kind of think about that experience, you know, you were kind of alluding to this idea of, you know, kind of really being exposed maybe to some more artists that were, you know, exploring materials and methods and, and work in a, in a way that was a little bit different than when you were younger. So maybe what were some of those artists that you were kind of exposed to in, in that time that you were like, oh my gosh, like I could totally go in this direction? Some of the earliest artists that I started looking at, you know, like learning about who are some artists that work in non figurative ways and abstract ways mm-hmm. were like Terry Winters or Ross Blechner, Yayoi Kasama and Elizabeth Murray and Polly Applebaum. I mean, there were just so many great artists that have influenced me. Tara Donovan is mm-hmm. really great. I saw her show a couple years ago at Denver Museum of Contemporary Art. And just, you know, there's so many good artists, I think that I, in fact, uh, Ernst Hockel, who is so like an, an artist from the 1800s, is definitely one of my biggest influences. And a lot of these artists, you know, I didn't ever know who those artists were before I started making the work that I make. So it's not necessarily that they influenced me, but I now feel a connection to them. And then the more that I, I just want to soak up, you know, all kinds of work like that. Mm-hmm. Tishan Sue is sort of my new inspiration. I love his stuff is really weird and interesting. So yeah, I love to discover new artists. One thing I love about Instagram is that you can really find a lot of art. Oh yeah. No, completely. Right. It's, it's amazing. It's endless. Right. Um, And again, it, it strikes me like it's in some ways kind of similar to that kind of conversation that you start having in graduate school with all these other artists and, you know, your professors are trying to kind of get you to take risks and kind of work in, in new ways. And, you know, I guess to kind of think about that relative that time, I mean, are there some things that we could kind of highlight to, to maybe kind of talk about? And, you know, I guess before I let you answer that, you know, just remind everybody uh, your website, leahandersonart.com, tons and tons of work there, plenty of installation, 2D, 3D, everything that you could kind of check out is up there. But uh, to get back to that question then, so yeah, maybe maybe talk about that direction that you started kind of going in or kind of exploring um, after kind of seeing some of these artists and, you know, getting that nudge. Well, one of the things I wanted was for the work to feel like it was alive. And, you know, what does that mean? You know, what does it mean to be alive? So there's maybe systems that are integrated with one another, organic forms layered on one another. I you know, remember my first um, kind of major series of paintings were rectangular paintings. And in my review, I remember saying, I want these paintings to feel alive. Mm -hmm. And my committee chair, Martin Facey, who is definitely one of my most influential professors, he said, well, why are they rectangular? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, I totally can't believe I didn't think about that. So I did then a whole series of paintings that were, you know, a sort of round or roundish three-dimensional sculptural things I sort of thought of them as three-dimensional paintings versus sculptures playing with you know things that were popping off the surface of the wall with no substrate you know lots of experimenting with with what is you know like letting go of that rectangle I still sometimes use squares and rectangles but I love that I don't have to and I think sometimes it doesn't Mm -hmm. even occur to people that they don't have to use a square or rectangle they can they can go off the edges of the rectangle if they want to they can make something that never 
you know, never touches a rectangle. So um, that was definitely an important point. And so also experimenting with materials, you know, just that's one of my biggest inspirations is the process. And a lot of times I'll start work with a certain type of material and I don't really know what I'm going to do or how it's going to have meaning, but eventually it will. So that process and experimenting with materials is very exciting. And that's one of the things I also love about the aesthetic that I employ in my work is that it can translate to any material. Mm-hmm. You do it with glass, I can do it with metal, fiber, digital, traditional painting, I mean anything, clay. So I get to play with materials, you know, and it's so interesting to see how the work evolves when I switch to a different material. Since you've been talking a little bit about some of these experiences and and maybe how they especially influence some of the work that you're kind of doing now. Is there a particular installation from that time that maybe we could start with to kind of, you know, highlight its importance or, you know, just seeing it in a different way than, than, you know, like we were just talking about kind of breaking that, that rectangle. Well, rebirth of a life was my thesis show and it was just a pivotal piece. You know, I was in a place in my life where uh, my daughter was 15 Uh, I didn't have a partner, and I always wanted to have another child. You know, I sort of liked the idea that maybe I would kind of get to start over. I had my daughter really young, and, you know, it was, you know, a short-lived relationship, and I'm so glad I have her because she was the most amazing experience. You know, being a mother was really powerful Mm -hmm. for me. So when I realized I probably am not ever going to have another child, and I'm about to graduate with my MFA, But you know what? My life is actually very exciting. Like I'm going to start an art career. I'm teaching. I'm very inspired by that. So for my thesis show, I decided instead of making a baby in nine months, Mm -hmm. I made a piece of art that took nine months. So I, I got a whole bunch of newborn baby socks and I stuffed them and sewed them closed and they sort of looked like a potato. Mm -hmm. And I painted one each day for nine months. And I so did patterning and colors on these little little pods, I call them sock pods. And then I made an installation piece, which in the rebirth of a life, there's a, a giant oval-shaped red pod that's five feet tall that bulges out of the wall made of foam and wood. And that represents me, the mother. I'm only five feet tall, so mm-hmm. the center of the piece is five feet tall. And then sprouting out of that pod on aluminum rods are 270 little baby pods kind of going out into the world to propagate and reproduce some like sending these little baby ideas out into the world. Mm-hmm. Instead of making a human baby, I'm making little baby pieces of art to send out into the world. And what's so interesting is it all, you know, that was sounded nice, you know, it was a nice concept to think about sending them out into the world, but that's actually really happened. You know, it's almost like, ideas sprout up here and there related to my work or I almost feel like that was a seeding of my my whole rest of my art career was that piece so it was a very important piece for that reason yeah it's interesting too because you even kind of mentioned that relative to you know kind of getting in touch with some people have contacted you about you know, making artwork based off of your artwork in terms of like elementary schools and kind of working through projects that way. So, I mean, again, I I like that relationship and, you know, kind of thinking about, you know, that relative to the figure and, you know, this is kind of like this birthing, you know, I mean, again, it's really interesting to think about that and how that can kind of extend out from even just this, this piece. I had a opportunity to do a window installation and I got all the little sock pods out of their containers and I just, I didn't have them on the rods. I just lined them up almost like a big class picture mm-hmm. in this window. And I called it rebirth reunion. It was almost like a class reunion of all the little babies coming back together again. That was several years after my thesis show. And then I took one of the sock pods and I thought, well, what, what happened to this one little baby? What, where, where did it go? And I, created an installation piece called the millipod where I digitally recreated that one pod, you know, on transparent acetate. And I made a thousand variations in Photoshop of that one pod mm-hmm. and then created the millipod, uh, which kind of looks like a giant breast 
Um, and it has a thousand iterations of this one baby, almost like the ancestors of this baby, mm-hmm. you know, that spread and grew. And then just a couple of years ago, I was invited to show at a gallery in Santa Fe, and they wanted me to do something with the rebirth piece because they had seen it on my site. And so I I installed it without the mother, mm-hmm. the mother pod. It was just the babies on the rods. And my mom had passed away previously, and my daughter had moved away just shortly before that. And so it was so interesting that the mother was gone from that mm-hmm. new version of the piece. And I just called that one Rebirth. And that one, they're all spread and going in different directions, almost like a giant flock of birds instead of being clustered around the mother. Yeah. And again, it's such a formal, beautiful, inviting kind of piece and, you know, something that I think about in general with your work. And I guess to kind of kind of look at it more specifically, what kind of informs that kind of process of doing something that has so much repetition and in terms of like, say, like your color choices or deciding like, you know, what kind of patterns that you've become interested in? Is that all kind of like a language that you've kind of just been developing, you know, based on the stuff that you make? I do think, again, it's almost like a in retrospect, trying to analyze why do I want to make thousands of little shapes? Because there's definitely points where I'm like, oh my God, why did I have, you know, hundreds more to make? Why did I commit to doing this many? Mm -hmm. But I think it may be a little bit of um, like a soothing kind of a an activity, I think maybe like an ang- like helps with anxiety, mm-hmm. where I I love sort of like I've decided I'm going to make 400 of something, and then my work is done as far as my decision making, and then I don't have to worry about it anymore. I just have to get to work and I have a goal to reach, and it's sort of like a like a compartmentalized project. I don't have to wonder when am I going to stop where I know that I'm going to make this many. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, it takes off some of the pressure. And then as far as the marks and the colors, you know, I, I do love certain colors, red and green in particular for their symbolic meaning, mm-hmm. but just exploring color relationships and very, you know, almost formally really trying to get certain dramatic effects to happen by the color relationships, limiting my palette sometimes to get the colors to interact more is really fun for me. And then up until recently, for about four years, I made almost exclusively work with no color. I was just focused on gray, black, white, and sometimes brown or neutral kinds of colors, maybe some metallics or some interference would be like the most I could go toward a color. But um, that was really interesting. I really only stopped doing that because I had some commission projects that were color related. So I would still love to explore that black gray palette because I had to rely more on texture and value relationships and shapes and I got to play with materials in a really new way because I, and I couldn't just pull out some lime green to make it more interesting. So that was a really interesting challenge. And I would say anybody who works in intense color should give it a shot to try to work with no color for a while and see what happens. Well, and that's something that I really love too, is that you always seem to kind of look for like different ways to investigate, you know, the forms that you're interested in, or, you know, maybe it sounds like you might get a, a show at a space where you've got to figure out what you're going to do differently or, you know, how you're going to kind of manipulate your work in the space or, you know, maybe even be inspired by the space. But is there like maybe another piece that we could kind of highlight? Cause again, it sounds like, especially like the installation work is something that you're really kind of drawn towards. I know, you know, eventually we'll be talking about some stuff coming up, but are there any other kind of like specific pieces that you're especially excited about to, to talk about? Well, I did just do a series called the Guardian series. Mm-hmm. When COVID began, I'm sure many, many artists made work related to COVID, you know, especially right at the beginning of the pandemic in early 2020, you know, you don't have a vaccine, you don't know if you're going to get COVID, you're washing your groceries when they get them delivered. I mean, there's definitely a, a kind of a deep fear and you're thinking, is my immune system going to save me if COVID enters my body? And so mm-hmm. I, I sort of made these 10 drawings called the Guardian series that were just almost like these heroic 
imagined immune system, you know, cells or organisms that were fighting for me. And that was a really great way to process some of the anxiety that I had about the pandemic and about getting COVID is, you know, just hoping that my immune system would save me and that I wouldn't die because, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I couldn't fight off a disease. So that series was really important to me in that, you know, it gave me a channel to, to experience that fear and then also almost make a fighter against the fear. And and I think a lot of my work really is about, you know, even sometimes I don't mean it to be about my life. Then later I realize that it is totally connected. So there's a lot of autobiographical content in my work, sometimes intentionally and sometimes I see it after I make it. Yeah. And you know, to think about the relationship between some of the different approaches, I mean, do you kind of have a number of different things going on where you might have like, hey, this is the, you know, installation based kind of, you know, repetition of these forms over here, these are going to be some, you know, 3D works, these are going to be some flat works, or, you know, are you kind of singularly focused on like, oh, I've got a show coming up, I'm going to make these paintings, or I'm going to work on this installation piece, or you know, maybe kind of break down how that studio process works. Cause again, it's so interesting how artists juggle that, you know? Well, I do love getting the opportunity to just make something to fill a space, whether it's a little window, whether it's the corner of a gallery or it's a, you know, huge room or it's, you know, outside or whatever. If somebody says, we want you to make something for this space, that is sort of a terrifying and wonderful mm-hmm. experience that sort of happened to me with the Albuquerque museum. They asked me to be the um, artist in residence um, for the summer of 2015. And they said, you can do anything you want in the lobby. It's going to be up for a year. And I eventually settled on the gigantic windows. And I did this whole piece where there, I glued 10,000 shapes to the window. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, really site specific. I don't think I could probably ever show that piece anywhere else because it was really specific to that particular window. And so those kinds of experiences will happen where I make something for a space, but A lot of times what happens is, you know, it's really a lot of work to create a big installation. Sometimes my installations have a thousand pieces or hundreds and hundreds of pieces. And I'm exhausted. A lot of times if it's three-dimensional, I'm very frustrated with engineering and physics of trying to get something three-dimensional to exist. And so I'll, I'll sort of in relief start a little series of drawings or, you know, small works that are not technically complicated and it gets you know it's almost like it can still produce without the stress of trying to engineer something but then I'll get an itch you know I'll feel like I okay this is good but I you know I want to challenge so you know whenever I get an opportunity to do something new that I haven't done before you know I'll have an argument with myself and I'll be (laughs) worried that I what should I do this what if it you know, what if I can't figure it out? And then I'll be like, but you figured it out so many times before. And are you going to really pass this up? You can't, you got to go for it. One of the things I've also like to compare art making to is extreme sports. Mm-hmm. And that sounds kind of funny. Cause you know, if you're painting on a canvas, that's not the same thing as riding a mountain bike down the side of a mountain. But mm-hmm. I think for students and for a lot of artists, you know, that it's kind of terrifying to, make art and you don't know if it's going to be good. And especially if somebody asks you to make something and they're expecting it to be a good piece and you have to also, you know, say, what if it isn't, you know, I'm going to have to take a chance here. I'm going to have to risk a lot and overcome my fear and go for it. And I feel like that's probably what someone's saying to themselves when they jump out of a plane, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they're going to skydive is they're, they're probably terrified, but they know it's probably going to be okay. And it's going to be so cool. They just have to give it a shot. And I really feel that so much of the, the time when I'm making work that there's risk involved, but it's also very thrilling. You know, there's definitely adrenaline involved and, and then you build confidence over time. I don't know that the fear ever goes away. Mm-hmm. But you kind of can rely on the fact that it was okay almost every other time, <laughs> you know, and so you probably will be okay this time. I love hearing that because 
I just started commuting again, right? You know, I back in person, kind of thinking about all of these things that we're talking about. And anxiety comes up a lot, you know, when I'm talking to students. And, you know, that's something that I think about so much in relationship to confidence because I'm always nervous. And so many artists that I talk to are nervous. You know, they sound like yourself, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to use, you know, this new technique or, you know, this isn't going well. What, you know, how am I going to make this transparency work or, you know, whatever that thing is. But I feel like we've just done it so much that we just have that confidence, you know, that it's, it's going to work out. We're going to find a way to, to make it work. And when, you know, when it goes off the rails, we're going to make an adjustment and, and, you know, right the ship, if you will, you know? Yes, I do. I, I mean, I don't think you can be an artist and and just live in terror. You just have to go for it sometimes. Sometimes I like to compare it to cooking too, because if you make, you know, if you make a new meal every day, once in a while, one of them's not going to taste good. You're going to put too mm-hmm. much salt or something. And sometimes that's also what helps when I'm making a lot of something. A lot of times if I'm starting a drawing series, for example, I'll start all of them at once. And I think sometimes people think artists make a painting and finish it, make another painting and finish it, make another painting and finish it. I'm like, that isn't necessarily the way you have to create. What if you started 20 paintings all at the same time and then work back and forth and back and forth on them? If you get stuck on one, you can visit another one. If one of them is terrible, you who cares? Because you have a whole bunch more. You know, it, it does, again, sort of take some of the pressure off to work in multiples. And so, you know, I think that's another reason, you know, sometimes I'll just start making little little shapes. I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but I'm going to make a whole bunch of them. And, you know, I'm trying to develop strategies to, you know, to kind of overcome any kind of concern I have about failure and then also be excited about what I'm making. So I I just almost think any artist who says they're never, you know, uncomfortable or never worried about what they're making may not be totally honest. But I think so many of us are even using our fear to as the subject of what we're creating, you know, or, or something that we hope for that we wish for could be inspiring us. And I really think art is such a healthy way to engage with life. And I, I, that's why I think it's important for so many young people to take art, even if they don't want to be an artist for their profession Mm -hmm. is just to experience that, you know, that creativity could be something that you always pull on you know if you have a breakup or you have a sickness or you have a death or you have you know some kind of an experience that you can make art about it and you can use that experience to help you create and then you feel good about the fact that you created it can also be an escape from you know the thing that you're worried about because if all you have to worry about is purple dots for (laughs) a few hours then you're not worried about your bills your boyfriend or your you know, whatever it is that you're stressed about and, and it kind of can be a healthy escape. Yeah. And, you know, to think about maybe some of the like installation approaches too, there's, there's so much repetition or like, you know, that idea of having a thousand components to work, it kind of probably alleviates a little bit of the preciousness of, you know, them being individual because they're all kind of contributing to this, this larger effort that, you know, is going to be totally different than, you know, like that, that static rectangular painting that's singular, you know? Well, I mean, and it's so interesting, there's this paradox in our universe that the same materials, the same basic ingredients are making everything that exists. And every single thing in the universe is unique. Every grain of sand is unique. Every leaf on every tree is unique. Every ant is unique. Every human being is unique. And and how can that be if everything's sort of the same? Mm-hmm but everything is different at the same time. And I feel like when you create a piece of art where every single piece is related, but they're all different, you know, you kind of express the the paradox in a visual way and it's so beautiful. And, and you feel like there are so many connections you can make to nature, to human relationships, you know, and, you know, I just think that there is some kind of a profound truth in that unity and variety relationship. I want to talk a little bit about some of these more three-dimensional kind of like singular works, because 
they're really fascinating to me in that they start to kind of almost feel like they're organs. And then some of them almost have these like little components that kind of like have like branches that maybe think of like arteries. And, you know, again, they, they still kind of have those really, you know, unique colors that are really vibrant, but maybe, maybe talk a little bit about maybe some differences if you're going to be making a work that's maybe more singular in terms of it being like a standalone kind of 3d work as, as opposed to an installation. Well, a lot of times it still has a similar process of making, like maybe it's a singular sculpture, but it has branches that come off of it that are, you know, similar, but not exactly the same. Mm -hmm. I look at a lot of nature and biology and all kinds, any, you know, little treasure in nature. I, I sort of love that idea that you come across this little shell that is this amazing, beautiful sculptural object that nature created. It wasn't human created. So I look so much at those things. I don't usually directly reference anything like that when I'm creating art. I, you know, I'll usually just sort of start making. Almost always I'll do it that way. Mm -hmm. But then I'll usually make a bunch of parts. You know, I'll be thinking about something that's similar over here but slightly different. So there's often a balance. There's definitely formal consideration in a lot of the creative decisions I'm making. You know, I'm really trying to play with that slight variation in something. And so even a singular piece will still have that unity and variety component happening in it somewhere where there, there's a relationship between the things that are similar and then also things that are very different from each other. It strikes me that it's kind of very much like a, a cell or membrane or, you know, something that's almost like you're blowing up the scale, but I love like kind of hearing that it's not necessarily like directly based off of something. It's not like you've got like a, a slide microscope or something. And, you know, these are the, <laughs> you know, forms or colors kind of based off of like a, a slice of tree. You know, like, again, there's something really interesting to me about that. But yeah, I love how they kind of feel like they're cellular or kind of related almost back to that figurative aspect that we were kind of talking about earlier. Right. It's familiar. Like you think, I feel like I've seen something like that somewhere. And I, I want that feeling of discovering the special little thing that nature created. Like if my work could also inspire something similar, like whoa, that's so interesting looking. What is it? I feel like I've seen it somewhere before. I want it to feel like it's living. I, I certainly recognize a lot of people see biological um, content and, mm -hmm. and that's okay, but it isn't really trying to always be biological subject matter. I'm not necessarily saying, you know, with the Guardian series, I was almost, almost against my will because it happens so much that people associate it specifically with biology, but I embraced it because it was sort of really important that I was thinking about my immune system in that, in that body of work. But I just want it to feel alive, to create the sense of curiosity in the viewer. I like to tell a story with the work, but I don't care if the viewer knows the story. I don't think it's really necessary. I think they can kind of make their own associations. I think that's one of the fun things about making something that is non-specific is that the viewer can project their own meaning onto it and, and find their own story. And that's so interesting too, to hear what they see when they're looking at the work. If, if I hear somebody saying, Oh, it reminds me of this, or it made me think of that. And I, it isn't anything I was thinking about, but that's such a, such a fascinating thing to experience is someone else's interpretation. Mm -hmm. And again, there's so many variables to it as well. You know, as I was kind of just talking about, you know, the 3D work, the curiosities, I think I was, you know, thinking more of those kind of almost looking like these weird organs and stuff like that. But then there's some other pieces called being sprouts, where, again, the scale is just slightly larger. And then it's, again, just like that other variant. So, I mean, I can kind of really kind of fall into that idea of maybe, you know, you kind of work and work and work. And then there's just this inkling of something else in the back of your head that kind of like shifts you into a slightly different direction. And then it's, you know, a matter of kind of working through this new figuration, if you will. Right. I love just seeing what's going to happen because I, I don't know, you know, I, I almost will just sort of give myself this challenge. Like I'm going to try to make these pieces sprout out of a, you know, a surface and, you know, that's the being sprouts pieces. And, 
you know, but they're flat drawings that are mounted on, you know, a stem. So it's sort of like a flower, but then, you know, the, the thing that's on the end of the stem is flat. And one artist told me that uh, I was a two and a half D artist <laughs> instead of a, I was like, that is such a great way to describe it because so much of my work is a combination of two dimensional and three dimensional components. You know, if my stuff is a flat drawing, it's usually very textured and dimensional. If it's a sculpture, it's usually incorporating some flat pieces in the sculpture mm-hmm. that are maybe paper or prints of some kind. Again, trying to just have the sense of lifelike quality that something's growing or maybe you've captured it right in the moment, you know, almost like a photograph of something in motion that is still, which is also what's very exciting about the collaboration that I'm working on with a local immersive art venue called Electric Playhouse because they're animating and activating my pieces and actually making them move and interact And I don't know how to do those types of things. I'm not a coder, Mm -hmm. but they do. And so that's a new project that I'm working on. And hopefully in early 2022, we'll have an entire immersive art experience at the Electric Playhouse, where the whole entire Electric Playhouse will have multiple different pieces of art that I've created in collaboration with the artists there. And, and that's almost like a dream come true to, you know, because I don't have to try to learn the technology. They totally invited me mm-hmm. to make this, this show. And so I worked with the artists, um, the creative coders, Ben Matthews, I've been working with and John Mark Collins and John Mark Collins is the founder of Electric Playhouse, one of the founders. And so they invited me to do this project and I, said I you know I know some Photoshop and a little bit of mm-hmm. you know technological stuff but I don't know how to do anything else and they said that's okay you know we're very inspired by your work and do you have ideas and we'll try to make those ideas happen so I made a series of sketches and you know we've just been working together basically through Zoom and they'll reference my sketches I'll give them still images and then we'll just play around and they'll code something and say what do you think and then we'll you know, edit it and we'll modify it until it becomes, you know, something that we we both feel satisfied with. And then we'll project it into this, you know, gigantic spaces that are like 40 foot long walls. What's interesting, you know, is there's definitely been talk about the immersive Van Gogh projects and all those variations on it. And I haven't seen those, but I do know there's a lot of negative especially from the art community toward mm-hmm. the immersive Van Gogh, which I tend to agree with. I don't know that he would want that. I feel a little uncomfortable taking someone else's art and doing something so dramatically different with it. Um, I love that it also can be a way for people who aren't familiar with art to connect to art. But, you know, in my case, I'm in control of what it is that's being seen. So I'm really seeing it as, extension of my practice, you know, wanting my art to feel alive, wanting to make installation art. And now in this immersive experience, it is moving and living and people can interact with it and people can be all around them. It's just one more step in the direction that I'm trying to go in when I'm making sculptures and paintings and installations out of physical materials. So it's been really fun to do that. Yeah. And it, it strikes me too, you know, it's just like that piece that you made the installation where we kind of have all of these variations and the window, you know, like light is going to change. The time of day is going to change. We start thinking and processing time differently. And, you know, that's something that seems really exciting to me relative to this work. Cause that could be something that could be really fun to think about, you know, something, you know, like shifting or dissolving or, you know, the way that we think of a gradient slowly kind of shifting or maybe like, you know, a color slowly moves from this, you know, kind of gray tonality to something that's going to be really vibrant or, you know, almost kind of think about it in, in terms of like a, a, you know, time or, you know, something that's going to be just, again, another extension of that, that studio practice, which is something that's so exciting. You seem to have all these different, you know, webs of uh, <laughs> creativity going out in different directions. Well, I mean, it is that sort of that, you know, that rebirth of a life, all those little baby pods going out into the world. It almost just seems like 
very, you know, symbolic and artist statement-ish that mm-hmm. was, it really has happened. It's like all these different, you know, evolutionary tracks of my work kind of keep evolving and I'm just sort of the channel that they're going through. I really feel sometimes like it's it's almost something that isn't all my decision. And I, I you know, I know that probably sounds really foo-foo, but I, <laughs> it's such a mysterious process. I feel like art is so much a magical thing. How can something exist and it didn't exist last week, but because I touched it and formed it, it exists now. And where did it come from? Did it come from somewhere? Is it going to go somewhere? How come it's existing? And it's only existing because I made it. And that piece of art is only existing in that specific way because that artist made it. And it almost does feel like some kind of a magical experience to be an artist because you're, you're playing with putting all these things together and they turn into something that's maybe more than the sum of its parts. So it is a very interesting thing to think about. And I do almost think of the pieces as something I care about, almost like a child, definitely not as much as my daughter, but they're sort of a a thing that I nurtured into being and I cared about them and I put my love and energy and sweat and blood and tears into those creations and and now they exist and then sometimes they continue on evolving into other types of art sometimes I'll cycle back and I'll use an image of a piece of art and for the basis of a new piece so it's almost like it's being recycled back into a new idea you know it's just kind of an amazing process that that we can generate creative things and they're not necessarily just practical things like bridges and utensils they're you know things that are important to our ideas and our thoughts and our feelings yeah it's exciting to hear you talk about it to be honest you know we were talking about being inspired earlier right (laughs) it's really fun to kind of think about that and i don't know again i don't know if this will be an exciting question but do you have like a you know like a goal board or like how, how do you keep organized on all of this because i would imagine you know just because you see something differently in the studio and it kind of leads you into a different direction i mean is that just you know something that's limited by like you know i'm working on this project right now or is that something where like day to day you might kind of shift your your focus to to other things or i do like to have a, at least a couple of different projects going on at once it's probably also the same reason i like to have lots of multiples within a piece is is just if I get sick of it, I'm frustrated with it, I could switch to the other thing for a while, just change gears, you know, mm-hmm. just have a break, um, but still produce. So I think having multiple things going at once and having a lot of small parts that accumulate into a whole are really one of the reasons I can produce a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I do I do spend a lot of time making work. I, I teach, but luckily my job I teach at Central New Mexico Community College in Albuquerque. I'm a full-time faculty, but I usually only have to teach two days a week. So that gives me a really decent amount of time to be an artist. And so, you know, sometimes I I usually have a project, either it's a making a piece for a show or possibly an installation or a solo show type of a project. And so I have, you know, something to work toward. I think it helps me when I have a goal. The occasional time where I have a lull in between projects, I usually just start playing with something. You know, I'll just say, I'm going to make my yucca transmutation project that I did last summer was sort of that where because of the pandemic, I was going for a lot of walks and I would see all kinds of things in nature and it was summer. So we have a lot of yucca plants in New Mexico and they create these beautiful dried pods then there's usually maybe like 20 of them on a stock that are all dried and I started collecting those and then I just sort of transformed them into some kind of a little living treasure type of a thing and all of them had you know yucca pods as their base material but I would sometimes add found materials like trash that I found on the ground you know if it was a piece of plastic or an old chunk of metal. Sometimes I would look at the like my studio floor and find interesting scraps of like semi-transparent paper or, 
you know, something that I had thrown away that I was going to use for something else and, and other natural materials. And it was just like a scavenger hunt for me to go for walks and look for things that I could add to my little yucca pod sculptures. And I ended up making 50 of them <laughs> and got to show those in a window installation. And that was sort of a pandemic inspired project called windows on the future. And all over Albuquerque, 516 Arts invited artists. Who's, it's a local gallery. It's a really fantastic local gallery in Albuquerque, 516 Arts. And they invited artists to create installations for windows so that, you know, people could still see art safely. And so I ended up using those in that project. You know, yucca pods are just this excuse almost to play with the materials. But then it also was sort of about renewal and about you know refreshing something that's old and maybe you think it doesn't have any value anymore but it actually it can be new it can start over again it could be something that it it wasn't ever meant to be but it has a whole new life a whole new you know experience and and so it kind of can be inspiring in that way maybe you think you know oh I've done everything that i and meant to do, but actually there's so many more interesting things that are going to happen, sure. you know, so it becomes a little self-portrait. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, as we're kind of uh, nearing the end here, where's the best place for, for folks to kind of stay up to date with, with all the stuff that you have coming up and, and going on? Is, is it your website or Instagram or both? Or I, you know, I post almost everything I make on Instagram. It just feels really good to share it and get feedback. I do work alone. You know, I'm pretty much isolated when I'm creating. So having even something in progress, I, I love progress shots of artist work myself. So I tend to post things in progress. Sometimes it's just little stuff I make. Sometimes it's demos for classes that I'm teaching. I love to teach independently mixed media art classes because I can just all kinds of experimental projects with, with those people that aren't about grades or anything related to, to specific curriculum. But Instagram is, I'm sure, the best way to experience my work. I'm My website also and I'm on Facebook, uh, Leah Anderson on Facebook. So, but I'd say Instagram is definitely where you're going to see everything I'm making that's new. And you can look back at lots and lots of stuff from the past um, that's on there too. And that's Leah Anderson art on Instagram. And then that's your website as well, right? Correct. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to me all about your work. It's been great. Thank you so much, David. And thank you for giving artists, you know, this opportunity to share what they do. I think your art is really so much about helping other artists express themselves and help other people have an in on what they're working on. So thank you so much. Thanks so much to Leah for joining me. Check out her website, Leah Anderson Art. And of course, be sure to follow everywhere on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter at Leah Anderson Art. Definitely shoot her a message if you enjoyed today's episode. Another quick reminder that our 2021 Pro Competition is coming to a close November 30th. So if you want to get your work out there, please apply today. Our juror this year is the fabulous Erica B. Hess from I Like Your Work Podcast. She'll be selecting 10 artists to appear on an upcoming episode of the podcast, as well as two artists for solo exhibitions in some spaces that are opening up in West Chicago, Illinois. One of those spaces is Hedgehog Gallery, and the other is my Studio Break Gallery. So I'm super excited about this opportunity. The application is super easy. All you have to do is submit a small fee. You send an email with all of your info and you are done. Once again, you can go to studiobreak.com and look for our competition page. You can also find that linked in our bio. And again, it's really easy. So please apply today. And of course, share this opportunity with any artists that might be interested. Once again, we've got some recent interviews with Michael Willey, Will Hutnick, Michelle Bondurant, Erica B. Hess, Kelda Martinson, to name a few. And once again, a healthy archive. So check them all out on studiobreak.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. It's great for studio thinking, right? It's also great when you say hello. So once again, be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break. And of course, be sure to say hello on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. Today's music is by Golden Shadow, which features myself on guitar, Ben Cohan on drums, Brett Beery on bass. You can check out some of Ben's work by following him on Instagram at Studio, and there's some work available for a sale right now, so check that out. You can also find Brett Beery on Instagram at Brett Beery. 
There's a link for some of his albums that are available on Bandcamp there. And of course, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Golden Shadow Band if you want to stay up to date. If you want to check out some of my paintings, head on over to davidlinaway.com. i got a big sale going on to help raise some money for various projects, especially with the gallery coming up. Once again, all of those works on my website currently have free shipping through December, so please check them out. There's a huge range of everything from small, affordable prints and paintings to much larger ones. And again, you can check that out at davidlinaway.com. Be sure to say hello at David Linaway on Facebook, Instagram, everywhere that you want to follow. Always great hearing from listeners. And of course, be sure to say hello at studio underscore break on Instagram. I do want to give a special shout out to Mitch Mitchell. You can follow him on Instagram at Mitch Mitchell Studio. He's a fantastic printmaker and also makes presses. He was featured on episode 63 way back in 2013 and is just a fantastic artist. Really glad that you enjoy the podcast and that your students enjoy this podcast. And uh, definitely want to see a massive group photo from the class at studio underscore break. You know the address there, right? (laughs) Anyways, I hope everyone is doing fantastic, that you're doing lots and lots of great things in your studio this weekend. Hope that you enjoyed listening to today's episode. Be sure to let us know. Keep productive. Keep healthy. We'll talk to you real soon.